Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations, joins us on a very tight schedule, and we appreciate him making the time, on a very tight schedule from Jerusalem, Israel. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, it's good to be back with you, and sitting here in Jerusalem as we anticipate Shabbos, it's always something very special. And I'm told it's raining there today, which is always good news, right? Not heavy, just uh, drizzle here and there, maybe rain later, but... So far, no. What were the what were the what's the update regarding your own journey? You're leading this amazing group of uh, Jewish leadership in the Conference of Presidents. Give me a, a give me a thing or two that were very interesting this week that you were able to do with the group. Uh, survive <laughs> the first thing. <laughs> we had a hundred and twenty plus people, uh, leaders of the, the member organizations of the conference, the largest delegation in the forty four years that these trips have taken place. And the um, uh, the program was was quite amazing. Of course, the Prime Minister and uh, President Rivlin addressed it, uh, as did the leaders of all the different factions and different parties, um, key ministers. Uh, we went in the north. We saw the training for the war in the north. We actually went with the head of strategic planning, the major general in charge, and the major general in charge of um, the planning division. We have met with uh, uh, a truly remarkable people from the uh, military, from the political, and from other realms. We had one night a panel of the ambassadors of Israel to the United States, uh, five of them at one time, talking about U.S.-Israel relations, the lessons they learned. Uh, we had the uh, members of the NFL Wow. National Football League, who were here in Israel, joined us one night, and That's cool. uh, 20 leaders of Christian, major Christian groups in the United States, uh, and of course the families, the MIAs, and then one night we had a panel of the key journalists, which got quite intense. We even had the people responsible for Fauda, the TV show, <laughs> coming and talking about how they created what it was about, and, and tremendous insights into it. Uh, day, a half a day at the Knesset, where we met the um, in diaspora immigration of the committee. We, we were addressed by the speaker and um, by uh, Lisa Labi and, and uh, Tachia Negbi, um, the police commissioner, uh, who's a religious um, man. Uh, uh, Al Sheikh uh, addressed us. Uh, truly, with just a, an incredible spread of everybody uh, going many many hours. Uh, and people really appreciate it. We learned a great deal. And as I tell them, if you don't go away with questions, then you don't really get it. Right. And we, we had an amazing panel of people uh, from uh, the, the different water and energy firms talking about the implication of what this means for Israel's future, for the region. And it was so insightful. People sat there literally spellbound as uh, a guy from the KPMG gave a gave the overview, and it's, it's truly, there are so many remarkable things happening here. There's so much to see. So much, I mean, you, many people called us today asking how come they weren't on the program. And <laughs> just, oh, it's only a matter of trying to squeeze everything in in uh, four and a half days. And, you know, we kept moving up the starting time. Ambassador Friedman um, was one of the opening speakers, uh, was very effective, and um, really a tremendous array uh, of every perspective, and so people get a full picture of what is happening as best you can. Even your uh, JM and the AM regular appearance was affected by the tight schedule. Uh, first, a broad question. Uh, d d does the message from the Israeli officials 
come across that the future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel? As you and I have discussed many times, there's a different atmosphere, a different attitude now when it comes toward the Israeli view of diaspora jury. Did they, did they convey that message to everybody? Well, first of all, I will tell you that what struck almost everybody was virtually every speaker from the military, from the government, from every sector, praised the work of the conference, the American Jewish community, how much they appreciate what we do. Uh, I mean, I don't remember, don't remember ever that consistent message as, it, as we heard it during this week. And maybe it's a new recognition, maybe it's an appreciation that they developed, but... Um, I mean, the things happened during the week where they acknowledged it. They made presentations um, to to um, extol the work of of um, American Jewry in particular, uh, in terms of it being a strategic asset of Israel and how much they appreciate it. It's interesting because we um, because we always I do we, think that several several did stress. And showed the demographic numbers and everything that the future is in Israel. It's funny because you and I often discuss no criticism this time of leadership. What you just said, I believe, is accurate and certainly portrayed as such, but uh, and and seen as such. But when it comes to the the average people in this country who care about Jerusalem and Israel, we wish they were more involved in the process. And and and, and it seems we always have trouble those of us who try to motivate people in getting more and more of the, again, not, not a derogatory term, the average person involved in the process. I think they, that was part of the issues they discussed. They talked about, you know, concerns about different sectors, the democratic left, et cetera, that where there's weakness, young people, the campus problems. Right. And many people, ministers, uh, discussed it and talked about working together finding ways to deal with everything from security of our communities to outreach to assuring the continuity. And, and from some unexpected sources talking about, you know, Jewish identity and, and continuity as critical as on the agenda. Understood. Well, you saw the prime minister up close, as did the group. Uh, is there any indication as you see him that he is under this tremendous media scrutiny and pressure as more and more allegations seem to be coming out? Well, what I can tell you is that uh, when he came to speak, there were 70 journalists, reporters, TV cameras waiting for him in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so, if anything, is an indication of... But he, he did not address his legal problems, obviously, and we did not right. expect him to, nor I wanted him to. Right. But, uh, you know, he's bound to be under pressure. But he, he, he gave a half-hour speech that was prepared. It was comprehensive. He had some slides to go with it in his background. But he talked about the issues, the progress Israel's made, the issues it faces, the challenges in the region, and it was it was really um, essential. Uh, BB like he like in the past, he really gave a, a very comprehensive uh, overview, and um, you know. But the the obviously the topic in the street, the topic everywhere, right. is the is the. Um, Legal, political, the legal situation, and I want to go back to that in a second. I'm just as a curiosity: was the the Polish Holocaust issue a um, at all a a news item during the conference, both from the Prime Minister and in general, as you went through all these discussions with leadership in Israel? Absolutely, everybody. I mean, many people, including I mean, all those you mentioned, but many others spoke about it. Uh, some in more 
calm terms, some in much more in tougher terms, some who called for recalling the Israeli ambassador to Poland. Uh, uh, some uh, even went further than that, but by and large, they, they all were talking about the uh, the revisionist history and and the unacceptability of that. Yeah, and I may have more about that coming up. So, and, and on the other issue, on the allegations, and I, and I would bet you don't spend much time, frankly, following this. If I were you, I think I'd agree with that position. But but now it seems that there's a, a, a Bezek component to this, which sounds very similar, by the way, to the newspaper case in terms of him getting a favorable coverage from their online service. Plus, on top of that, uh, it seems someone in his administration might be accused officially soon of actually bribing a judge. I mean, is there more and more and more that's going to be coming out over the next few weeks? Well, let's break it down. One is that many of these are not charges against him. Two, many of these charges are not proven yet because they're charges, not convictions. Right. Uh, number three, today in the media, you, you, you accuse people first, they get convicted in a headline, and then people start looking into the facts. And now, you know, many people said Ari Harrow turned against him. The media now says, well, he didn't. Um, then other people are accused of all sorts of things. It's it's the mood of the day. It's the it's open season. And then anybody who, you know, if it's from the left or the right, doesn't fit the bill, or especially when the prime minister appears to have favored certain media and worked with them. Uh, but, you know, Bibi's been in for it's almost 10 years now. And in any event, it would be some fatigue and some, uh, you know, uh, but, but, but regardless of that, when you ask everybody, nobody has an alternative. Yeah. They ask who should guide Israel at this difficult time. They're saying it's Netanyahu. So, you know, the, the, um, there are alternative candidates obviously putting themselves forward, and if, if necessary, there will be people who can take over on an interim basis. On a long-term basis, there's a lot, a lot of speculation about whether he will call snap elections, i.e., you know, call for elections in a couple of weeks, which takes three months to take. You have to have three months uh, notice because parties have to organize and get ready. And uh, But during the time of an election, everything freezes. All the investigations Everything freezes. Right. Well, if so he, if he, if he will say that's one like one possible tactic, I don't know that it's true. The elections are scheduled for next year anyway. All right. But I would say, as you know, a lot of times that tactic backfires. We've seen too many examples, especially recently, of that tactic. One hundred percent. Yeah, it just backfires on you. Um, Never can predict. It depends on what the public is at, and and um, you know what where the investigations will be. And uh, it, when you're tried in the media here in this country, as we've seen in the political uh, arena, uh, usually, I think it's safe to say, usually uh, the target does not survive. With him, I guess you'd give him at least a 50-50 shot, right? <laughs> if, 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 I would give it to him, and I think if the things were done more fairly, generally, you know, the, the media loses credibility. Everybody loses credibility in that process. Right. Um, so I would hope that they would give him a fair shot and give him a chance to defend himself. And to, he, I mean, you haven't heard his side of any of this, right? And the, you know, it's just so. Right now, it's it's only the accusations, and anybody can do it. I mean, anybody can make a, an accusation, especially if it, there's an ideological motive. And it doesn't mean that there can't be some that there isn't truth to some of it, but it's it's certainly. Um, a, a, a lynching climate now. Malcolm Holmline, live from Jerusalem. We have a few minutes remaining. Um, 
Uh, look, you've been out of this country, obviously. We've been following you um, uh, for the last couple of weeks. Nonetheless, you know what the political environment is right now in the aftermath of what happened in Florida. It, do you do you have any further insight for us in terms of the Huckabee statements regarding gun control in Israel and the evaluation by many that there's a tremendous gun presence in Israel, as we know, but nonetheless, there are very strict gun laws, which people are surprised about when they actually hear that, especially those who have visited Israel. Do you have any other, any additional uh, perspective on this from the Israeli point of view in terms of gun control? Yeah, they show that the actual number of people with guns is, is, is limited, very limited. Um the uh, and of course those who, who carry guns, the uh, people Miluim, other things, um, don't uh, misuse them because there is this respect for the weaponry. Right. Uh, you know, people use Israel as an example, but the fact is that it's not comparable to the situation in the United States. The, the dangers that they face are different, and the um, the need for many people to to have weapons is because to drive home every day, they could face a potential challenge. Right. So I don't I don't think that the, you can make a valid comparison between the two. Understood. What did you think of the Mahmoud Abbas presentation at the United Nations this week? I think that it was further evidence of what he began the other day with that rambling 20-hour speech that was clearly incredible. The fact that uh, I, I think um, that, that he walked out on Ambassador Haley's uh, answer to him uh, says that he's, he, you know, who he is. Everybody seems to believe that he is the problem, not the solution. And the, um, you know, all along what saved him was that he was better than the alternative. And at some point, and I think we're getting close to it, he's not better than the alternative, although we don't know who the alternative is. But the more and more evidence of the incitement of the paying for terrorists, of giving, giving pensions, lifetime pensions to people who um, commit crimes, and the worse the crime, the more they get. Uh, and especially if it's an Israeli Arab, then they get even more. That this is uh, it's outrageous, and I think his his appearance, his rambling um, uh, questions and points uh, were um, uh, we have seen the reaction, especially as I travel through the Arab world, where there's a real they're sick and tired of him. There's a real rejection of of Abbas, and not of the Palestinian people, but a less of a passion about the cause. The feeling that there's a you know all the money they give gets sucked up and and misspent and uh, misapplied. The uh, there is there is on many counts uh, a a, um, a resentment, I would say that all the hundreds of millions and billions of dollars that are poured in, and now we have Gaza on the verge of collapse. You have the West Bank in bad conditions. You have a government that, that hasn't been elected in, uh, you know, its term ran out nine years ago. The, he's unresponsive. He's alienated the Americans. He's um, continues to make uh, demands. So I think that the... the um, uh, he, he's not emerging out of this a winner. The Europeans... Also, are getting tired, and some of them are cut funding because of the money that goes to pay tribute to all these uh, to the terrorists and kill the terrorists and killers who sit in in their jails and in in uh, the um, prisons in Israel, uh, and their families are reaping the benefits. And if they get killed, then their survivors get houses, get money, and a third of the budget or so can go to that cause. True or not that he was cared for in a U.S. hospital while he was here? Do you know if it was true? Yes, 
it is true that he is being cared for in an American hospital, um, but it's not uh, it's not very serious from what I understand. I know which hospital he's in, and um, he, he did come here to be treated, yes. And two other U.N. questions. First of all, um, Nikki Haley seems to indicate that there will be a peace plan out of Washington, out of the White House, very soon. First of all, you know what very soon means when she says that it's almost ready, and you have any clue, because a lot of times, as as you know, a lot of times these peace proposals, even from friendly White Houses, come out of nowhere with stuff in it that, you know, surprises certain people. Any clue might... Well, I think that was part of... I'm sorry, that was part of the motivation of the speech, was to counter the initiative of the administration, and, uh, you know, he, he wants recognition on the lines of 67, and he... Uh, which you know, sort of makes the negotiations irrelevant. He uh, has made other demands, and including, you know, the right of return, other things that, that he feels uh, is, are essential. And he had to appear to be, you know, strong and reactive for, for the, his domestic population. Uh, but the the fact is that his relationship with the administration is very bad. I do believe they have a paper in the works. I do believe that we will see it soon, but soon may not be till Pesach, maybe after Pesach. It could be sooner when they, they will put forth the paper. Uh, I know that um, uh, the people who are involved in the process have said they have not seen it or other people haven't seen it. So I can't tell you right now what the what the status is. And finally, when when, when Russia vetoes for instance, the Syrian ceasefire resolution in the in the UN, which I think to, to normal people seemed like a pretty reasonable resolution. It was it was created literally to get you know supplies and and medical needs to to, to different people. When when they go ahead and block a vote like that, that's simply because they're going to block anything that looks like any type of criticism against Syria and intervention, and give them an ex- give others an excuse to get into this situation. They they are protecting uh, first and foremost their allies and uh, Bashar Assad now is is one of them, and they're uh, working together with the Iranians and others. They don't want any outside intervention, uh, and especially because it carries the implication of uh, wrongdoing on the part of some of the you know the, even now even war crimes the charges against some. But this is uh, it's quite. Remarkable remarkable how they rose to defend the uh, the uh, uh, to oppose this resolution and defend essentially the Syrian government it's um, you know the tragedies this week with hundreds of people being killed I don't care what your feeling uh, uh, is on one way or the other regarding the war but to, to feel that this is acceptable is is, is horrendous and uh, their involvement on it is, is terrible and you said you and the group went up north and saw preparations for what Israel might be facing in the future. Was there, is, there is definitely a real concern, a real alert, both in the south and the north, but the feeling of, of uh, the possibility of uh, what they call the war in the north, because it won't be so limited as, as you see, is Iran is intensifying its efforts against Israel, both in Syria and in, in Lebanon. Uh, it has taken control of certain areas through its militias and Hezbollah, and we had a role on the part of Russia to to stop what they're doing in in Syria, and uh, there will come a time when Israel, for all sorts of purposes, may be forced to act. But certainly, nobody wants a war. Nobody is. I don't think any of the parties want an all-out war. But you know, you have maybe ten thousand Iran Revolutionary Guards. You got eighty thousand paramilitary militias, et cetera. 
backed by Iran, who send you know people from Afghanistan and Iraq to die, not their own soldiers, even though some of them have been caught at times in in the fighting. Uh, you, you have Turkey involved, very involved, fighting against the Kurds. And there's, there's so many aspects to all these things. I mean, you could take any one element, any one part of the Middle East today, the Houthis, the, the, what's going on in Baal Mandab, what's going on in Gaza, what's going on in Lebanon, Syria, and just to assess it, as people did this week in front of us in great depth, um, you walk away really <laughs> reeling from uh, all of what Israel faces, and yet at the same time we saw so much good news and the statistics, the optimism, the birth rate, everything here in Israel uh, moving positively, oil independence, water independence. And yet, uh, you know, this little country has to, has to field a military, and it has to be equipped to deal with thousands and thousands of missiles so with new guidance systems, more precise ones, although I think Israel has a way to address that. And, and, and Israel will have to act preemptively. And if the Iranians, together with their allies, better get the message that this is not going to be a limited strike when it comes. The allies are more likely to get the message before the Iranians, right? <laughs> <laughs> They'll be the last holdovers. That's for sure. Uh, when you were up north, and I, I have no idea what the you know where, where you were able to get to, etc. But is the effort by Israeli medics up there to help those kids who are in the line of fire in Syria? Is that still going on? Yes, it's unbelievable. It's going on. There are still people in the hospitals in Zip Hospital and elsewhere. It is not the same as it was. Uh, it's not the same flow of people. But uh, there are still cases uh, coming to Israel. Israel did an amazing, amazing job on this. And, um, but because of the encroachments of foreign troops on the border, it makes it more difficult for Israel to be able to render this humanitarian assistance. By the way, is it a big deal that Shelley Adelson has offered to, uh, to help finance the move of the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? No, it is not a big deal here. I didn't even know it. And I assume, Shelley, you mean Sheldon Adelson? Yes. Uh, of Las Vegas, yes. He's, uh, I, have not, I did not hear that. But that would be no big deal, but they, right? But like they a, are looking at properties, I know that, and they are looking, and you have somebody, David Friedman, who's very devoted to it, and uh, I think will will oversee it, so he will can be the first ambassador based in Jerusalem. Next week is Shushan Purim. Are you planning on being in the New York area? Uh, we will talk during the week, Mr. Shemin, work it out. There you go. Have a wonderful... Hey, will you be sober is the question, and then I can talk about it. Uh, Ma- Malcolm, I think you know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> we have a wonderful Shabbos in Jerusalem and a you great too. Purim. We will speak next week, please. God, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He really did rearrange his schedule completely so we could do the weekly update just to drop later than usual, and I really do thank him for that. I think everybody out there knows that.